as I uh, get ready for every sermon, I always like to get a little bit of a response from everybody. I say, God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. Yes, he is. You are right about that. Amen. If you are new here, we're glad that you're here with us. You're visiting. Um, we are in a, uh, a new sermon series that we've kind of been going through um, on the book of Titus. And actually, if I can get the clicker from you, that would be great. Thank you. All right. We've even got a graphic for you. All right. Good. Um, and so we're in a new sermon series. And so we've only been in it just a couple Sundays. And uh, we actually only have one more Sunday after today in the book of Titus because the book of Titus is uh, it's short. And so we don't have too many sermons on it. But if you missed out, there's a good chance you can get all to the website and you can get the, the past sermons to catch up. Um, but today, uh, we're going to be looking at um, just a few verses in chapter 2, which we'll dive in in just a little bit. Um, but to give you a big picture of what's going on in the book of Titus, in this letter, the Apostle Paul, who's our author, he's writing this letter to his friend and brother in Christ, Titus. And Paul is tasking Titus with the job of organizing, with teaching, of training, and building up the leaders of God's church in Crete so that they might teach sound doctrine and live godly lives themselves. Well, these, these leaders are not only tasked to, to teach good things, but they're to live, be godly examples to everybody else as well, too. And so we see this merging of faith and practice come together in the book of Titus and we as believers, this isn't just for church leaders, this is for us, as to, for us too. We need to learn good doctrine, and we need to live it as well. And so that's kind of a big picture of what's going on here in the book of Titus. And we're going to be looking at that even this morning. We're going to see that we need both faith and practice. They're, they're both coming together. And in this passage, we're going to be learning about a particularly good and a sound and a great doctrine which we're going to see that should be our foundation. It should be our theological foundation because this doctrine we're going to learn about, it should motivate us to faithful practice, to godliness, to good deeds. And so we're going to be learning about that. And we're going to see that the grace of God, we're going to see that this, this is the theological basis for godly living. And so we're going to emphasize this grace of God. What is it? What's it mean for us today? And so with this big picture in mind, uh, let's just go to the Lord, because we want to prepare ourselves. This is God's Word. This should transform our heart, our lives. We should think about this. And uh, granted, we only have usually one day a week where we really, a lot of times, put an extra emphasis on God's Word. And so we want this time to be sweet. We want our hearts to be open, and we want to learn and receive what God has. So let's go to the Lord and prepare for that. Jesus, thank you for giving us this book of Titus, which is a challenge to us, Lord, both to believe and good doctrine, but also to live out this good doctrine in our lives. Uh, it's not easy. We live in a, a, a hard world um, that throws many temptations, many difficulties, and it's not easy to be godly. And so, Lord, we ask for your righteousness. We ask, Lord, for your help and your Holy Spirit to guide us. Lord, teach us these good, these sound truths, but help us to live them in our daily lives with all the difficulties that we've experienced. Lord, we are a weak and a fickle people. But Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to come to strengthen us, to encourage us to cling to your grace, which you give abundantly to all who ask. Lord, change us. Lord, stretch us. Train us up in godliness so that we might be, Lord, salt and light, Lord, in this church, but also in our community. Teach us, Lord, this great truth about the grace of God, and may it permeate our lives so that we would be salt and light for your community. Lord, 
You are good. You are faithful. Open up our hearts and minds now to receive your word. And the church says, amen. Amen. Well, um, we get there. Oh, different place on the, uh, there we go. Okay, it's finally up there. So, if many of you have probably read this story, this fits in seamlessly into what's going on in our content. Uh, but if you've read this story, maybe read to your children, maybe you've heard it a few times, um, it'll be good. You'll have a, a refresher this morning because this plays into something true about our passage. But let me tell you the story if you're not familiar. Once upon a time, there were three little pigs. One day, they set out from the farm where they had been born. They were going out into the world to start new lives and to enjoy any adventures that might come their way. And the first little pig, he met a man carrying some straw. And he asked him if he might have some of this straw to build himself a house. Well, of course, little pig, said the man. He gave the little pig a bundle of straw, and the little pig built himself a lovely house of golden straw. But a big bad wolf nearby, he came along and he saw that the new house, and he was feeling rather hungry and thinking he would like to eat a little pig, delicious bacon. For supper, he called out to the little pig. He said, let me come in. To which the little pig replied, no, no, by the hair on my chinny chin chin, I will not let you in. So the wolf shouted very crossly, well, then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. And so he huffed and he puffed and he huffed and he puffed until the straw house fell in. And then the wolf, he ate the first little pig for supper that evening. The second little pig was walking along the road when he met a man with a load of wood. He said, please, sir, he said, can you let me have some of this wood so that I can build a house? Of course, said the man. He gave him a big pile of wood, and in no time at all, the little pig had built himself a lovely house. And the next evening, the same wolf came along, and when he saw another little pig, he said, this time, he said, I am hungry. Well, I should go to this house. And so he said to the little pig, little pig, little pig, let me come in. To which the pig replied, no, no, by the hair on my chinny chin chin, I will not let you in. So the wolf shouted, well, then I'm going to huff, and I'll puff until I blow your house in. And then he did that, and he huffed and he puffed, and he huffed and he puffed until the house fell in, and the wolf gobbled up the little pig for supper that night. The third pig met a man with a cartload of bricks. Please, sir, can I have some bricks to build myself a house, he asked. And then when the man had given him some, he built himself a lovely house with bricks, and the big bad wolf came along and licked his lips as though he thought about the third little pig. And he called out, Little pig, little pig, let me come in. And the little pig called back, No, 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 by the hair on my chinny chin chin, I will not let you in. And so the wolf shouted, Well, then I'll huff and I'll puff till I blow your house in. And the wolf huffed and he puffed. And he huffed and he puffed and he huffed and he puffed again. But still, the house which had been built so well with bricks, it did not blow in. No matter how hard the wolf tried, the house would not blow in. Then the wolf went away to think, how could I trick the little pig? You see, church, today's wolf comes in many shapes and sizes. And he comes to seek and to destroy. And he comes to blow your house in and to consume you and your family and anything that is good and that is godly in your life. And if we are to withstand Satan's attacks to live godly lives, then we have to build our house on something strong, 
on a theological truth that is solid. And I mean, we need to really believe it. Not just assent to it like, yeah, that's pretty good. I'm glad that's in there. But we really need to believe it. And to have this truth change the way we think, the way we believe, and the way we act. Because if we're going to build our houses, if we're going to build our life on something, that should be built on God's truths, which are solid, which are strong, and which cannot be blown in. And that's what we're going to be learning about today. This theological, this foundational truth that honestly is, is so important. We must build our lives upon it, our families' lives on it. And the truth that I'm speaking of is the grace of God. Because if you want to live godly lives, then you need a theological, a solid theological foundation. And if you want to bring glory and honor to God in your life, you need to have a solid theological foundation. If you want to be an agent of change in this culture for God's glory and honor, not your own, then you need a solid theological foundation. And if you want to be able to withstand Satan's attacks, you want to extend the worldly pleasures and passions and desires and temptations that come in this world, then we need a solid theological foundation so that our houses and our lives don't get blown in. Build your life upon the straw truths and false promises of this world, and the wolf, he will come, and he will blow your house down with you in it. But if you build your house and your life upon the truths of God, then no matter how hard the wolf blows when he comes, your house, your faith, it will stand until the end of time. And so, church, I ask you now, hear this foundational truth which we are to build our lives upon in verses 11 and verse 12. This is the grace of God. Read with me verse 11. For the grace of God that has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. The first line says, For the grace of God has appeared. Church, do you realize the magnitude of this statement? That the unmerited favor of God has now come? The fulfillment of grace that was promised all the way back in Genesis 3.15, right after Adam and Eve sinned, has now literally come with flesh and blood. It has appeared before us. The Greek word for appeared is epiphany, which is another word we have in the English for epiphany, meaning the appearance of something or someone which was previously invisible has now become visible. And so this grace of God and the person of Jesus Christ has now been revealed. This grace that we speak of has become tangible. What was promised over and over in the Old Testament that was told of from generation to generation has now been fulfilled. Jesus, who is fully God and divine, he came down from heaven, became flesh and blood so that he could live a sinless life and that he could earn salvation for us and give it to us freely. Because Jesus is God, but he came to be man and he's both and he lived so that we might live. He came and actively earned perfect righteousness. And in contrast, as we live, we have inherited. And as we live our lives, we've earned God's wrath. That's the reality. We sin and we sin often. But you know what the good news of the gospel is? Is even though that's true, when we are called by the grace of God and we believe in Jesus Christ, 
we get what he earned, not what we earn. Because we get his righteousness, and his righteousness is credited to us. It's kind of like Jesus got paid for his perfect work, yet he debits his earnings into our spiritual bank accounts. We don't get what we deserve. We get something so much more. That's grace. And Jesus is the full embodiment of this grace. Paul is telling us here that in Jesus' first coming, that he was the grace of God and that the grace of God is what he offers. He offers grace and mercy. And he offers it to all people. He does. And he offers it freely. And that's what our verse means when it says, bringing salvation for all people. Now, I want to make a caveat here, though. Uh, a gifted biblical commentator, William Mounts, he rightly notes this. He says, this is not universalism, though, that all people are saved. He says, rather, this is God's gift, which is available for all people, Jew, Gentile, slave, or free, and the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus has come to make his grace available for all people, and it's our job as God's people to tell about the availability of this grace and of this freedom because it's in Jesus Christ that they have that, or we have it. The beauty of this foundational truth is that it's available, and nobody can earn it, because it's already been earned. And that's the truth that we need to live upon. We know that Paul is defining this grace of God in verse 11 as the person of Jesus Christ, but what he tells us in verse 14. Verse 14 says, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. It's this guy, this Jesus who's come, who's the embodiment of grace himself. And it's the objective of this grace of God, Jesus, to bring salvation to his people who are his possession. Spurgeon said it this way about this verse. He said, The grand objective of the manifestation of divine grace, which is Christ Jesus, is to deliver men and women from the dominion of evil. That is, Jesus came to save. To save us from ourselves, to free us, to comfort us, to help us, to draw him to himself, and to point us to something bigger than just ourselves and our own lives. You see... When Jesus came, he knows that for we, humanity, we like to revel in lawlessness. We like to do what we want to do, to be our own gods. We oftentimes enjoy this dominion of evil because we think it's going to provide pleasure or fun or freedom or anything that we're looking for, and he knew that it would not provide these things. And he has come to provide us something sweeter in its place. He knows that we revel in our own hearts of darkness and that before his grace reaches us, we are totally committed to darkness, to evil, to sin. And it's only his grace that can illumine our hearts and to change us and radically change us. It's this dominion of evil which loves the world and all of its philosophies, all of its ideologies, its sinful lusts, pleasures, passions, and desires. And before the grace of God reaches our hearts and minds, that is what we are steeped in. And Jesus came to save us from this, from ourselves, from the things that we get sucked into and pulled into that grab a hold of our lives that aren't pleasing. And he did this so he might purify for himself a people for his own possession. 
and that we would be zealous to do good works. This is the foundational truth that we're speaking of, that Jesus is the grace of God, and he's come to bring freedom. He's come to save us, and he's come to purify us. And we, as a response of this beautiful grace that we receive, even though we don't deserve it, out of this goodness, we do good. We are motivated to do good, to love others. We are zealous for good deeds because we're God's people and because he loves good. We are zealous, or in other words, we are enthusiastic as God's people about good deeds because we understand what we believe about the grace of God, that we are sinful. We are 100% evil in the eyes of God. But yet, guess what? If we love and trust Jesus Christ, we don't have to pay the penalty of that evil and of those sins. We get what we don't deserve. We get grace. We get Jesus. We get what he earned. And you know what, church? That motivates us to do good, to want to do good, and to appreciate the good that others are doing for God's glory and God's honor. You see, the grace of God is the theological basis for godly living because it's all about God's glory, and it motivates us. This grace and motivates us, it encourages us, it strengthens us, and it enables us to do good for others rather than just to do things for ourselves. It frees us from being captives of our own selves and our own lives. It shows us there's more to life than just the small worlds that you and I live in. It's not fear that motivates us, it's love that motivates us. It's out of our deep appreciation for getting unmerited, unearned favor from God that keeps each of us humble, that keeps us teachable and enthusiastic about bringing God glory and honor, about doing good deeds, which he sees as pleasing. And it's this truth that we build our lives, our family lives on. And it's this truth that keeps you from the wolf and keeps him from coming after you. Cling to grace is what the Lord is telling us. Cling to grace. Because the reality is, is many of us, we struggle. We struggle with sins that hold us captive. But when Jesus came, he says, don't you want to be free? Don't you want to be free from these sins which hold you captive, your selfish desires that make no impact in this world, that are only out for yourselves, free from having to take from others, right? But being actually able to give to others, right? Don't you want to be free from the sins that hold you? Be free to be able to give, to care for others, to think about others better than just yourselves. And that comes with Jesus Christ and the grace of God. And so I say, turn to him. Find this freedom. Because this freedom is available. It's free. He's earned it. But come to it. Don't delay. There's no point to delay. It's available. Come, find this grace. Whether if you don't know Jesus Christ, it's available for you. If you know Jesus Christ, but you're struggling, this grace is still for you too. It means the same. And there's freedom, there is life for you to be found in Jesus Christ. So turn, turn away from sin and turn to the Lord. Let the grace of God breathe life into you and let the grace of God, let him train you and to teach you how to live righteously, to live sensibly. Because that's exactly what the grace of God does. It's a beautiful teacher. And we're going to see in this next point how it teaches us. The grace of God is a beautiful teacher. And we're going to take a look at this in verses 12 and 13. 
And as the grace of God trains us as Christians, it's all for the glory of God that it happens. Please read with me in verse 12. Now training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The subject here is the grace of God, and it's the one that's training us, that it's teaching us. This grace of God, this Jesus, he trains us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and he trains us to say yes to godliness and God's glory. Charles Spurgeon said, The grace of God has come to be a schoolmaster to us, to teach us, to train us, to prepare us for a more developed state. You see, the free favor of God instills new principles, it suggests new thoughts, and by inspiring us with gratitude, it creates in us a love for God and a hatred to all that which is opposed to God. You see, the grace of God shows us the beauty of obedience and it shows us the wretchedness of disobedience. It truly is a teacher in training us how to live godly lives. The word training means to teach, to discipline, which is in reference in this case, kind of like the children. And therefore, we are to be like children, being taught by our great teacher, by the grace of God, hanging on his every word and letting it change the way we think, the way we believe, and the way we act. We are dependent upon this teaching and this teacher. We need it. We crave, we crave it. We should listen to it, right, even now as we hear God's word, and we should obey it right? We're zealous for good deeds. That's how we posture ourselves to our great teacher, the grace of God. We should be humble. We should be teachable because we have much to learn and and grace has a lot to teach. The grace of God teaches us two things. A negative says no to ungodliness, but in the positive it says yes to godliness. So let's look at this first aspect of of God's grace teaching us to say no, essentially. Well, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly desires. And what I mean by ungodliness and worldly desires, it's referring to things like lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, selfishness, status, power, greed, finding pleasure, frankly, in anything above God. These are ungodly things, worldly desires. And grace trains us to say no to these things because God and his grace are far sweeter and are far greater than any of these things that the world or Satan could possibly tempt you with. The grace of God teaches us to say no to pornography, sex outside of marriage, infidelity, homosexuality, bestiality, or any other form of unrighteous sensuality because he provides something far sweeter, something far more intimate and fulfilling. Because the Lord, in his time and in his ways, sometimes provides marriage partners to some, which he orchestrates, But even more importantly, he gives of his son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, who loves more deeply than anybody, who forgives more constantly. I mean, his forgiveness is continual all the days of your lives, who encourages us frequently and will always be there to encourage us and who saves us. This is what the Father gives to us, and it's better than all this other stuff that the world has to offer. Grace teaches us to say no to selfishness because it reminds us that our lives aren't our own. We were bought at a very steep price that we cannot pay. 
because we are the possession of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're not our own. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Christ. And to live for Christ means that we live to bring Him glory and honor, not ourselves. And what brings Him glory and honor is caring for others and thinking of others as better than ourselves. And if you flesh that out, you know that's hard. Caring for others better than yourself. I struggle with that. I know you do. But the grace of God is here to teach us, to help us with this. The grace of God teaches us to say no to pride because it reminds us that we're not able to save ourselves. We're not able to. We're dependent upon the grace of God for freedom and for life. We didn't earn it, nor could we ever earn this. This was earned by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We were given physical and spiritual life because God made it happen, not because we did. We have things in this life tangible, whatever it is you have, jobs, cars, gifts, houses, whatever it is, spouses, friends, children, whatever it is, because God provides it, not because we do, because the grace of God saw fit for you to have that for whatever he has planned for you and for the things he's given you. You see, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness in our lives, teaches us to say no to selfishness because we know God is the one who gives all, provides all, and because he provides sweeter things. But in the positive sense, though, you know, the grace of God is a beautiful teacher and telling us to say yes to godliness. It really is. The scriptures here call us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. In what age? The present age, now, right? Between the two comings of Christ. We are to live godly lives, upright lives, now, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul is telling us that the grace of God calls us to live sensible, righteous lives now. Not tomorrow, not two years from now, three years from now. I'll get to that then. To work on it now and to call upon the Lord and his help. Because we are Jesus' possession and we should want to please God. We should say yes to good, godly things because we are his just as children are innately designed to want to please their parents, so are we designed in the same way to please our Heavenly Father. We were designed to reflect back the glory that is due to our Heavenly God, and we do that in the way we think, the way we believe, and the way we act. And the grace of God, when we believe it, it starts to change those things. So we do reflect back to God the glory that He is due. You see, what makes God happy and fills Him up is what's going to make us happy and fill us up. And you know what? Jesus Christ sacrificing himself for us, it brought immeasurable joy and pleasure to the Father. So do sacrifices that, that we make for our children, for our families, for our community, for our church, that result in love, care, holiness, godliness. That's for God's glory, not ours. These things make the Lord happy, bring him pleasure. And you know what? You all know, if you've experienced this, it brings you joy and pleasure too. And we are to live in this way. We are to practically say yes to godliness. Well, what does that look like? It may say yes to a family night or going bowling maybe with your family rather than extending your work hours. Maybe you say yes to family, no to work. I don't know. Maybe that's for you. Maybe it says yes to reading the Bible and praying with your spouse rather than just spending time on yourself that evening, maybe after a long day. Maybe saying yes to godliness means getting biblical counseling 
and letting somebody else probe and get into your life so there could be real healing and real fruit born? Maybe saying yes to godly means, godliness means sacrificing fun events, right? Maybe sacrificing a sports game or watching a sports game to come to Sunday school, come to church or a church event. Maybe it means saying no to inappropriate movies and walking out. Maybe godlessness says that too. Maybe saying yes, though, to godliness means saying yes to service events, being a part of a community group, being a part of a ministry here or outside of these walls, right? Rather than just spending that time on just yourself. Maybe it means giving a faithful tithe to the Lord rather than buying the latest gadget that's come out recently. Saying yes to godliness is not easy, but the Lord calls us to us. And when you love Jesus, and when you understand how good the grace of God is, it makes it a little bit easier to say yes to godliness and no to ungodliness. Maybe saying yes to godliness means talking to your town council and saying, what are some of the greatest needs in the county? How can I be a, a part of that? I live here. How can I be a part of, of this greater community and to serve? Maybe that means saying yes to godliness and doing something like that, right? Rather than just fo focusing all of our time and energy on our personal wants. You guys get what I'm trying to say here. Saying yes to godliness, these aren't all easy things. But the Lord can help us and he can show us that saying yes really does matter and it really does fulfill us. Because saying yes to godliness and no to worldliness is a part of accepting this foundational truth about the grace of God. And the Lord knows you're going to fail. He knows I'm going to fail, and that we do often. But you see, that's what's so good about the grace of God, is that Jesus, he's relentless. He is always forgiving. He is full of forgiveness. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love, and he's willing and able to help you whenever you experience a time of need. He is faithful, and he is good when you call on his name. And you know what? Your Lord and Savior, he keeps his promises. Not only did he appear once bringing salvation to all people who are called to accept his grace, but he said, you know what? I'm going to appear again, and I'm going to bring a finality to this world, and I'm going to restore all things. There'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more brokenness, but there will be life one more time. Paul here tells us that our blessed hope is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is Jesus' second coming when he comes again. And Jesus says himself, do not let your hearts be troubled, but trust in God. Trust also in me, because in my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go there and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you may be where I am. You see, church, there are sweeter things that are coming. God provides sweeter things than this world can provide. So don't divert your eyes from the prize. Because Christ is coming. He's coming back to bring greater things, sweeter things. And in this life, you can get a taste of that. Because Jesus came to bring salvation. And he sends his Holy Spirit to make righteousness real in your life. Holiness. A feeling of completeness in your life now. The Spirit is there to do that. The taste of these sweeter things to come. But don't keep your eyes from the prize because it is coming. The Lord will come back. And that's the hope that we have, that we believe in this grace of God, that Jesus appeared once, he brought salvation, he will come again to restore all things 
that are broken. And when he comes back again to restore all things, this world will be radically transformed. You will be radically transformed. And it's going to be a beautiful thing. That something that no eye has seen, no or ear has heard, we're going to see something awesome. And it's going to come when Jesus comes again. And look forward to that. Hope for that. Don't forget about that. And Paul tells us this is good news because if your focus is set on the hope of Christ's return and the sweeter things that he will bring, then it's going to be a little easier to purify your life from every known sin. The things that you're aware of will be a little easier because you're saying, you know what, there's something, there's something greater, there's something sweeter ahead. I don't need this filth. I need something greater. You see, it's kind of like this. President Carter, during his stay in office, um, on many several occasions, he would stay in, in uh, many common Americans' homes. And we don't know how he picked these homes that he would stay in, but he wanted to convey that he was really in tune with the average American's needs and, and the people. And so he would stay in, in average Americans' homes. And so I ask you this, if you got a call this week from the White House announcing like the president's going to come stay at your house sometime maybe next month, meaning that your living room and that your kitchen would be on national television, I predict many of you would do, go and do some serious house cleaning, right? Probably so. I'm, I bet your house would sparkle. But you know what? If we, do, if we would do this for the president and his coming, how much greater is Jesus Christ than the president? And he is coming. Don't you want to clean and prepare for his coming? You see, part of being trained by the grace of God means also unlearning and cleaning up some of this worldly wisdom that we've inherited, that we give into in these carnal desires. It means saying no to ungodliness and yes to godliness. And we have to work hard. I know you do, because I do. We have to work hard to unlearn these things and to say yes to the Lord. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can deny and unlearn these worldly passions, desires, and these things. And we can say yes to godliness. And that's what the Lord wants. And he's provided for us in his son, the grace of God. And as we struggle through this process of living and saying no to ungodliness and yes to godliness, we are called to declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and to let no one disregard you. The reality is, as leaders, it is our job to proclaim the grace of God, the gospel, these truths. But you know what? You as saints are also call to proclaim these truths, the grace of God, to live godly lives, to be zealous for good deeds. We are also called to this task, not just leaders of the church. And so I tell you, go and do these things, and you're going to see some fruit. When you taste and see, when you do these things, it will fill you up, and it will be good. And you'll see, yes, I have tasted the sweeter things the Lord can provide. Because, church, we are called to this task to honor and carry out, to declare these foundational truth to God's people and to people of all walks. Believe in the grace of God, and we are to live godly lives. And you know what? There's a certain degree to how much we believe this, this grace, this Jesus, is that it's reflected in the way we live. How deeply we hold these truths about this foundation of, of God's grace often can be reflected in how we live. And so I say, think about that. We all have areas that we can do some work, but the Holy Spirit's there to help you. Build your life upon the straw truths and false promises of this world, and you know it, as we said before, the wolf, he's going to come, and he will blow your house down with you in it. 
But the good news is, is if you build your life and your house upon the truths of the grace of God, then no matter how hard the wolf blows, your house, your faith will stand till the end of your days. But church, I want to remind you, be prepared because of the wolf, he will come and he will try because he comes to seek and destroy. After failing to blow the brick house down, the wolf went away to think how he could trick this third little pig. And he came back and called, and called through the window of the brick house, little pig, there are some marvelous turnips in the farmer's field. Shall we go there tomorrow morning at six o'clock and get some? But the little pig thought this was a very good idea. And he was very fond of turnips. But he went at five o'clock, not six o'clock, and collected all the turnips he needed before the wolf arrived. Well, this wolf was furious, but he thought he would try another trick. He told the little pig about the apples in the farmer's orchard and suggested they both go and get some at five o'clock the next morning. But the little pig agreed. He said, I will go. But he went early, just as he had done before. But this time, the wolf came early too. And he arrived while the little pig was still in the apple tree. And the little pig pretended to be pleased to see the wolf. And so he threw the wolf an apple down. While the wolf was picking up the apple... The little pig jumped down the tree. He got into a barrel, and he rolled quickly down the hill to get into his house of bricks, and he closed and bolted the door. The wolf was very angry that the little pig had gotten the better of him because he had chased him in the barrel back to the house. But when he got there, the wolf climbed onto the roof, intending to come down the chimney and to catch the little pig that way. The little pig was waiting for him with a large cauldron of boiling water that was on fire. And the wolf came down the chimney and fell into the cauldron with a big splash. And the little pig quickly put the lid on it. And the wolf was never seen again. And the little pig lived happily in his brick house forever and ever. You see, there's beauty even in this story because when we cling to the grace of God, which is our foundation, no matter what Satan throws at you, you will be able to get through it, not on your own strength, but in God's strength and in God's power. And he will help you till the end of your days because the grace of God is good and he's more powerful than Satan. And that's the truth that we live on. And Jesus is coming back. And you know what? He, he will throw Satan into the lake of fire, which will be a good day because there'll be justice, but there'll be freedom for all of us and our lives changed. And so it's this that we conclude and then we go to the Lord in prayer, because God is good. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are faithful in all your ways. Even in our weaknesses, when we fail to declare, Lord, your truths, you are faithful to us anyway. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you care for us, that you sent your son Jesus to die for us on the cross, that you'll always be with us through thick and thin, Help us to say, Lord, no to ungodliness and say yes to godliness. Help us, Lord, to take a look at our lives and see how good your grace truly is. Because, Lord, we don't always live perfectly in this life. But you live the perfect life. And you give us your righteousness. And it's on your righteousness, Lord, that we live. That we proclaim freedom and hope. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you provide for us all the days of our lives, that you are faithful to the very end.
and that you'll keep her promise and that you will come back to restore all things. To this, Lord, we look in hope and await. Lord Jesus, we love you. In Jesus' name, we all say, amen.